Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crail, and joining me today are Paul Third, Jamie Durant, and Andy Skinner. How are we, guys? Very well, thanks, Ryan. All good. I don't want to answer that question. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll get into it. I got a bit sing-songy there as well. I apologise to anyone that was put off this week's episode by that. Obviously, today we're going to discuss Aberdeen's ongoing struggles. The first post-split game took place at the weekend. It was a 2-1 home loss to Livingston. Not without its controversies, but I think it was, again, uh, the same kind of performance we've been seeing from Aberdeen um, for the vast majority of this season. Ross County, they also got their last five games underway with a home defeat to Celtic. No shame in that, but it was a 2-0, a 2-0 defeat that I'm sure Andy's going to tell us was full of positives for the Staggies. Inverness, they won 1-0 courtesy of the returning Roddy McGregor back to score from the edge of the box to give them a championship win that sealed third place. And of course, we'll have Cove Rangers League One title win and the celebrations that follow to discuss as well. But yes, let's start with the Dons. We always do I don't think we were going to start here Paul but I think I think based on your first answer we should the game at the weekend 2-1 to Livingston if you want my view strange team selection with Christian Ramirez being dropped change of formation seeing Jack McKenzie come to the team but it was very much Marley Watkins it was kind of leading the line for the Dons up there in a sort of front three there was a very interesting refereeing call in the first half where uh, the Livingston goalkeeper Stryak punched Vicente Bezewin qu- quite blatantly in the face, right in front of the official, and ended up getting booked for his troubles, which I thought was a bit of a shame. But then, yeah, the Dons conceded a couple of goals. They did get a late penalty. Ross McCrory also got sent off for maybe a touch of over-exuberance, over frustration, whatever you want to call it, at the end. But the Dons... Bar that penalty, and they've had a lot of them this season. Lewis Ferguson scored a lot of them. They just aren't a team that look like scoring that many goals, are they? And the worst thing you can be if you're a team that doesn't score a lot of goals is a team that can never keep a clean sheet, and they're also that. What do you want me to add to this? <laughs> <laughs> you've you've covered it, you've covered it perfectly. Um, Bishwayan, I I felt really sorry for him, uh, and the referee clearly dropped a clanger big time with that decision. Uh, I suppose you could play devil's advocate and say. That's maybe the boy cried wolf coming back to to bite Aberdeen's attacker on the backside because he had his uh, well documented how would I say this resurgence from lying on the deck when uh, <laughs> McCrory scored to put Aberdeen two one up at Dens Park. I think very diplomatic. Yes, there's maybe a bit of history as well in terms of I think the the Livy players were unhappy. Um, with an incident when the teams last met down at Almond Vale involving him. So I shouldn't even call it Almond Vale. It's Tony Macaroni. It's a far better name to use, isn't it? Yeah, so I I can see why there's been a lot of of side stories to go into what happened with that one, I think. It shouldn't be, of course, because every incident should be taken on its merits. And it it should be a penalty at least. Um, Whether you send a goalie off or not is is the referee's call, but surely, surely it's a penalty. And of course, Aberdeen, not for the first time, have a feeling of being hard done by and two minutes later they're picking the ball out of the back of their own net because they've switched off collectively. It's happening too many times and that's why they're now in the position they are and why I really am feeling a little bit troubled as these last four games now come into view. 
St Johnston in 11th, I think, still five points behind the Dons. But regardless of what we hear, the big talk we hear from press conferences and things like that from the players and Jim Goodwin, there is a sense that although they started quickly at the weekend and probably flew out the blocks with the best of intentions of taking the game to Livingston, that setback with not getting the penalty that they should have got, followed by conceding pretty quickly, there is a sense, isn't there, that psychologically the Dons are a little bit broken as well as being broken in terms of their playing style and things like that that Jim Goodwin will be looking to improve but yeah I, I do I do look at the it's probably the mentality that worries me the most at the moment yeah uh, yeah yeah um, there's, it's still the, our criticism of Stephen Glass's Aberdeen was that it was too passive they had so much possession in games I think they still do have very good possession in games but they're not doing anything near enough with it it's not as if you're looking at all these chances being missed or you're you're looking at it every week it's a controversial decision. Yes, there's been some going against, there's been some go went for them as well. That, that's football. I, I, I am still a firm believer you make your own luck, but when anything seems to go against this Aberdeen team, they fold too easily. And it's a common theme and it is one that with four games left, they've got to change the record here or we know where this is going. And 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 I, I am genuinely concerned. Um, but we are looking at a potential relegation scrap unfolding in at least f- these last four matches. Well, there's, there's been no new manager bounce, has there? Like that kind of fabled no. thing when you bring in some, you change the kind of the man in the dugout that you expect a little bit of an uplift in performances. And I mean, it's been what one one win since since Jim Goodwin's come in against a Hibs team that's also kind of been very very much out of form. And I can I can totally understand why people would be worried because yeah you might say there's still a five point cushion, but you're not seeing where Aberdeen are going to pick up points from at the minute, and that's the frightening thing because you can't keep expecting other teams to give you chances because ultimately that will come back to to bite you. And I think for a lot of people maybe the unfathomable is starting to kind of crystallise maybe that there could be a there could be in genuine danger um, come the end of this season. Um, and you're right, Jamie. I mean, go back to the Ramirez one on on Saturday. The manager used the word rested. I think if he'd said, "Well, I dropped him because he's not been doing an awful lot. He's not he's not scoring goals." I think fans would have accepted that as well. His form has tailed off in the in the second half of the season, and I can see why the managers looked at it and thought, "I need to make a change up here." But the problem Aberdeen have is there's nobody else capable of filling that void either. So even if Ramirez isn't firing in all cylinders, he's probably still one of the two best options in that Aberdeen team. The other one being Lewis Ferguson, who continues to score, albeit it's it's penalties, but he's still got to put them in the back of the net. The side story, I guess, of all of this is the fact that there's been some back and forth in social media with Ramirez uh, and fans, because they've seen the fact his, his family have gone back to the States. They're putting two and two together and taking this as a sign that he's off to pastures new in the summer. I think Aberdeen really need to kind of provide some clarification on that one. There was also a podcast interview, to those that haven't heard it, with uh, Christian Ramirez, where he was kind of talking about some of the things about the Northeast, too cold, things like that. You know, beach isn't very nice, that he maybe, you know, has found difficult to adjust to and I think if you had to, if you're a betting man Paul would you say the jungle drums are suggesting at the moment that Christian Ramirez might not want to be at Aberdeen next summer whether he is or not it's a different question but at the moment it, it, it doesn't feel like he is he's performing or portraying someone that is particularly happy 
Yes, I, I, I'd agree. I, I will be surprised if Ramirez doesn't ask to return to the States in the summer. Um, I, I only say that based on what we're seeing in terms of his performances and his his family situation. And and there's nothing wrong with that. People, he's, he's, he's come to a different country, family haven't settled, it happens. He's not the first player and he won't be the last if, if that is the case. And he, and he does decide to move on. It's just it, the timing. It's another one of those ones where the timing could not be worse from, from an Aberdeen point of view. Well, he's very much was a Stephen Glass signing and obviously he had come here based on his connections with Stephen Glass and, and Alan Russell, who obviously knew him from the States. And I think we saw when his, when Stephen Glass lost his job, the reaction that Ramirez put out on social media, there was a few, uh, I think it was four letters, <laughs> a four letter response to it on, on Twitter. And coming into the job, Jim Goodwin will probably have seen that although Ramirez was not his man, he was his best option up front at that time because after the disastrous January window that they had, there were no other forward options, really. As an out-and-out striker, as a goal scorer, there were no other options for him. So Goodwin probably had to um, stick with, with Ramirez given that he'd broken double figures. But I think if as soon as performances start to drop, he maybe doesn't really need then an excuse to drop him if he's not his player. And maybe Ramirez does have eyes elsewhere that, the guy that brought him there is no longer there. It's maybe not as the it's maybe not the place that he hoped it would be for him. Um, and given putting that into the kind of the wider context of Aberdeen's season, when your main goal scorer is not happy, then you're going to have problems. Andy hasn't scored for you since she arrived. Remember, <laughs> not once. A lot, we've discussed clean sheets already. Uh, a lot was made of uh, our colleague Sean Wallace digging up that. Aberdeen of the teams in all of the national sort of league sides in Britain, I think that's 10 divisions Aberdeen, the only one that hasn't kept a clean sheet in 2022. Jim Goodwin has already, you know, he's he's already admitted that the Dons are in a relegation scrap. The take on rock bottom, Dundee at Pataudry this weekend, probably of the four games remaining, anyone would say it was their best chance of getting three points on the board. It's the, you know, they are playing a team who've struggled all season long, not that the Dons maybe haven't. But what I keep coming back to, it would be horrible, of course, if Mark McGee's Dundee were to win at Pataudry, given Mark McGee's history as manager with the club, obviously, a legend as a player. But plenty of people are pointing already to seasons like 1995 when the Dons were considered too good to go down and almost went down. And more are pointing to Terry Butcher's reign at Hibs when, like Goodwin, he came in into a side that were struggling um, and immediately, before safety was secured, started uh, telling players that they didn't have a future at the club and making moves in terms of squad rebuilding. And that obviously eventually ended in Hibs getting relegated that season because the players weren't playing for him. Do we have that concern? I know we've discussed it a little bit already on Northern Goal, but that concern about the way Jim Goodwin has approached his rebuild, yes. could it be something we look back on in future years as like, well, that was that was part of the issue that ended with Aberdeen going down? A hundred percent, yes. Um, and the Hibs comparison is the more telling one. Butcher went for the sledgehammer approach when he went in at Easter Road, telling players he was they weren't part of his plans. And they, they dropped like a stone 
in the second half of the season after he arrived. Goodwin, he's been quick to make decisions about his squad and the parallels are troubling. One win since he arrived, Aberdeen slowly dropping down into that, that mire and you, and you start thinking, this couldn't happen, could it? But with each passing week, you think, well, it's possible and that possibility keeps increasing. This is a massive weekend for Aberdeen at this point. They're hosting Dundee, St Johnston are playing St Mirren. Depending on results, we could be looking at a scenario that we dared Daren't think two being points. possible becoming a reality. It could be two points, even a draw for the Dons, along with a win for St Johnston, would have me concerned personally. That's only a, a three point gap. You've to go to Easter Road next, where you've already lost this season. Then you're going to St Johnston, who are fighting for everything, and they are the forum team out of all the sides in the bottom half of the table. And then, of course, you've got St Mirren, Goodwin's former club, coming to Petaudry in the last day of the season. It's not a fanciful notion to say this could all come down to the final day and one one win should be enough for Aberdeen really but when you look at it and you see one win in the last 14 league matches it hardly fills you with confidence that picking up three points from any of these last four games is going to be an easy task for this team when you look at the the players that that maybe have been moved on already or been told that they're going it's I mean you've got Scott Brown first of all who was it was player, coach, captain, and obviously probably the, one of the most influential players in Scottish football over the last 10 years. That He was one of the first to go. Andy Considine, club club legend who's been there all his career, was told he could go. Um, you're looking at it, there's been obviously rumours about the goalkeepers, goalkeeping position where Joe Lewis has been the established number one since he came here in 2016. He, that can't have had an easy effect on him and his own performances. You've got the situation with Ramirez, um, Jim Manuel Thomas and Mikey Devlin, although they've not really featured under under Jim Goodwin, they have also gone. And then you've you've heard murmurings of Dylan McGeeck and Funza Ojo maybe being next out of the door given they're out of contract as well. It was it would be maybe one thing doing this sort of rebuild when you're already safe and you know there's no there's nothing really in terms of points or positions left to play for. And you can say, right, I'm going to take a look at what I've got for next season and I can maybe start the rebuild early. But when you need points, when you need these guys to go out there and dig out performances for you, you need them on side. You can't you can't tell them, well, actually, I'm not going to need you beyond the end of the season. Um, you can, you're free to look elsewhere, but then still expecting them to go out there and fight for you. It's, it is a, it's going to take a very persuasive manager, let's say, to to get that out of his players. There are obviously guys there that are, that will be fighting for him that are contracted beyond this season and into the future, but there are also guys that he will need before the end of the season that he's maybe told that he's he doesn't want long-term. And the com- com- the comparisons with Hibs are uncomfortable um, because, like you say, they had a complete absence of form after Christmas. The Dons have had a complete absence of form after Christmas. And as we've seen in the past with clubs like Dundee United, like Hearts, like Hibs. There's no club that's too big to go down. I mean, yeah, I agree. It's a it's an issue of timing we're talking about here. Jim Goodwin's obviously coming to the Dons with the aim of building a squad that's good enough to get up to at least third in the Premiership table next season to challenge for cups, to even maybe challenge Celtic or Rangers. But the predicament they found themselves in since he's come in, you've got to question whether some of the guys that have been you know, told already they could go like like you know, Funzo Ojo's still on the team, Joe Lewis is still on the team. 
you know, would their performances have been better if if players like this weren't worried about their future until the, the end of the campaign? I don't uh, know, but the, 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 sorry, the, the funny part for me is what Jamie's talking about a rebuild. He hasn't signed a player yet. He can't sign a player. If you're a, if you're a transfer target of Aberdeen, you're sitting in your house just now going, mm, I don't even know what league Aberdeen are going to be in next year. There, it's a whole change going on at this club, but I still don't know just how big these changes are going to be. I don't know that they're talking money with me, but I don't know if that'll still be the offer if if they drop down a division. But it's players. Players look after themselves. Yes, they have a club, they have an employer they need to play for, but they've also got to look at a potential new employer. And if you've got guys that you're telling telling them, well, you're not going to be part of my plans next year, they're, they've got to watch themselves. The last thing they're going to do is that, that 50-50 and the risk of a, an injury that rules them out of their next move. Because they know they're not going to be Aberdeen. There's not a contract there. That's human nature. And 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 the, and the flip side is, this is all adding up to Aberdeen being deep in trouble. I can't keep stressing this enough. And I really hope that the people down at Petodri realise that and they're trying to do something to address it. But by this point, I'm not sure what they can do because they've, they've dug themselves into a hole I don't see how to get out of. I, I feel sorry for, for Ojo, to be fair, because he was parked out on loan to Wigan. Um, was it season before last um, twenty was it last season? Maybe he was parked out and loaned to Wigan, and then he was he was pretty much told by Stephen Glass when Stephen Glass came in that he was going to be surplus to requirements. There was no kind of move forthcoming, so he came back into the fold again, and now he's been told again, or it appears to be that he, again he's got no future at the club, and he's been dotted about in various positions around the field. He's almost been the square peg in the round hole when when the manager a manager is needed and someone to go and fill in somewhere, he's gone and played there. And like every any player would probably tell you, like they're happy playing wherever as long as they're playing. But if Funzo Ojo is having to constantly adapt to different positions while his future's in flux, how can you not have a little bit of sympathy for the guy? Like people can question his abilities, whatever. But he he's always been a kind of a a wholehearted player whenever you've seen him. But it's not his fault maybe if he's been asked to play right back or he's been asked to play as a a winger. When it's not his natural position, when he he probably wants to be in central midfield, good enough or not good enough, um, objectively you're not going to get the best out of a player treating him that way. Anyway, let's pretend, Paul, that it's a few weeks from now and Aberdeen have confirmed their place in the Premiership. Calvin Ramsey uh, in the last few days awarded the Scottish Football Writers Association Scottish Young Player of the Year only Scottish players are eligible for that one hence the name beat off some decent decent competition to win it uh, but I think we'd probably both agree that Calvin Ramsey was deserving given the impact he's made again despite the Don struggles but he's had a lot of assists this season for his first season in senior football um, this week he did an interview to sort of mark that award win and to me it read very much like the Liverpool move potential Liverpool move we discussed in last week's episode could very much be happening reading between the lines it sounds very much like to me we might be able to see the potentially the last four games of Calvin Ramsey if he if he plays in those games maybe six um the, the hints are strong <laughs> the hints are strong I, 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 that's for sure if he does move on this summer a debate's going to be whether he is he has he gone too early or not but we're not going to know that until a year or two down the line um, there is an argument 
that he's in the first team at Aberdeen, he should have benefited from staying at Pataudry. But you can also look at the clubs mentioned and you see why. If one of them does come in with a genuine offer of X amount, and it, I would think it would have to be significant, that it's going to be hard to turn down. I mean, take Liverpool, for example. If, if Ram, Ramsey ends up at Anfield, the calibre of player and intensity of training he would be taking part in, even if it's with the under-23s initially, can only be good for his own development. That's not a slight on the youth academy set up at, at Aberdeen, but I don't think you could argue joining a, an English Premier League team would be a step up whatever level you're going to. And joining a team chasing the quadruple is fairy tale stuff for him to even try and process. Whether he ends up at Liverpool, time will tell, but it does look increasingly likely this is going to be his last season as an Aberdeen player. I think that's become clear. Sounds like the Dons are prepared for the likes of Ramsey and Ferguson. Moving on, Dave Cormack, the chairman, talking to our colleague Danny Law, said that plans for these sorts of things were something they've been putting in place for a couple of years. The only thing he asks is if anything's going to be done during the summer window, it's done early, so we avoid the the sort of the example he gave, which was when the bid came in for Scott McKenna on the eve of Aberdeen playing away in. Do you remember where it was? I wouldn't Paul? say was it Rijeka. Was, mm, was it Rijeka? Okay, we'll go for Rijeka. Um, right in uh, Northern Goal at DCT Media. Could you get if that is wrong, and Paul will be punished. Uh, but he's also said that the Dons don't need the money, well, well, they're a premiership club, maybe, um, but the bid has to be right for them, and he's guaranteed that Jim Goodwin will have a significant, significant budget for next term. Also worth noting that he says season ticket sales are also ahead of target for next season, despite all that's been going on on the field. The one other thing I wanted to discuss, and it kind of feels, after what we've already discussed on this week's episode, it kind of feels like a sort of paltry concern but something else Dave Cormack revealed to Danny in his exclusive interview was a US training camp is planned for the World Cup break in November I imagine that's one that fans at home might be sort of like non-plussed about to perhaps slightly irritated by but fans you know the expat community the Dons diaspora will be will be pleased I, I think so I mean it, it makes sense it, this Let's be positive. Aberdeen stay in the Premiership. So let's do that first of all. Because if they're not, if they don't, they're not going to America because they'll be playing during the World Cup next summer, um, eh, next season. Sorry, but it does it does make sense because it's it's going to be that rare season where the domestic campaign pauses for the World Cup, which has given Aberdeen this chance to go out to the states because the respective calendars of the MLS and football in in Scotland just doesn't ever marry up in terms of when there would be pre-season or, or, or whatever. So this is this one chance, I guess, that they get to make that possible. And as Cormac has said um, previously, he wants to make Aberdeen America's Scottish club. This is all part of that process. Interesting one. Weather. I don't know. Where will it be? Arbroath or Atlanta? Alloa or Atlanta? Remains to be seen. Anyway, let's move on because we've done, what... 23 minutes on the Dons, that must be a, a recent record, at least. And next we'll move on to Andy Skinner, who's going to inject this with some positivity around Ross County and Cali Thistle. Northern Goal is brought to you in association with Aberdeen Sports Village. With memberships to suit all ages, Aberdeen Sports Village is for everyone in the community. I'm there all the time to interview athletes, play football on the indoor pitches, swim or use the gym. But you can also dive, choose from over 100 exercise classes, play racket sports, 
chill in the sauna and steam room, run on the athletics track and more. Achieve your goals at Aberdeen Sports Village. Search for Aberdeen Sports Village online for more information. Okay, Andy, well Ross County, they didn't go off to the dream start to their post-split campaign, but they're still in a European position, still in fifth place. Is Malky Mackay, having been nominated for Scottish Football Writer Association Manager of the Year, is he Scottish Football Writers Association Manager of the Year? Well, on the basis that uh, my my vote in the Football Writers uh, helped and contributed to, to him being shortlisted, uh, I think I'd better make a case for Malky to, to win the Manager of the Year award. Um, Scoop I mean, for the listeners <laughs> there. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've obviously been watching Ross County very closely since since day one. And, you know, I just look at the starting point that they had. Um, even if you look back at last season when they, they scraped to Premiership survival, um, made it very clear from an early stage they were going to change things massively. And any time a manager does that in his first summer, then he puts his neck on the line. Um, you know, he, he he recruits his own players, he, he gets rid of ones he doesn't want, and as I say, 12 came in. So, you know, that was that was a complete instant rebuild. And, and the, the early signs didn't look particularly promising in terms of results, but um, you could definitely see something building. Uh, something was brewing in, in that, you know, opening sequence of 10 games. However, 10 games in, I remember vividly uh, after a, a defeat to Livingston, there were genuine questions to be asked, uh, legitimate questions of, about, you know, how secure Malky Mackay was in, in his position as, as manager. I'm sure he would, you know, the way he spoke that day would suggest that he realised that himself. Um, but what I saw was a, a you know, pretty ice-cool customer that, you know, had a steadfast belief that the, the way they were approaching games was going to come good for them. Didn't quite expect it to be so flamboyant as a 5-0 win down at Dens, but you know, that genuinely was the, the, the cornerstone in their season. Um, I suppose they've since then approached, you know, the the second round of well, second and third rounds of the the fixture list, feeling that you know they had a bit of unfinished business against most of the teams in the league, and you know on the the balance of play, they've continued to to sort of show that they are as as good as you know the majority of of sides in in the division, certainly the ones that they're expected to compete against. Um, and, you know, it came to that game at Pataudry, um and what I saw that day um, in clinching their top six place was a, a manager that had the complete trust and um, understanding of his squad. Um, there was no instruction that he was demanding of them. That Sorry, they... were you talking about Jim Goodwin right now? <laughs> well, that was, I suppose, to link back to Aberdeen, that was the, the very antithesis of... Uh, yeah. Of what I saw, but um, I suppose that's in, in Jim Goodwin's case. That was a manager that that's also, you know, keen to make changes to his squad. He's just he's not had the chance to do it yet. Um, Malky, as I say, after a rocky start, has achieved that with with Ross County. Um, you know, there's no instruction that he demands of them that players are in any two minds about. You know, whether it's a, a more pragmatic approach to games where, you know, they they have to suck up a bit of pressure and and maybe strike late as they did that day. They're capable of doing that. They can also play a bit more fluently um, and, and they carry a, a real attacking threat in doing that. So, I, I, I mean, I just look at the, the all-round picture of the club as well. 
um, it, it seems to have a bit more of a professional sort of vibe around it too. There, um, you know, you, you get the, the feeling that you know in the in the long run the um, you know, the infrastructure has been laid there to to achieve success over a, a long period of time and. Um, recruitment is going to be a, a big part of it this summer as well because you know there there will be players that that move on but um you know i, I look at what malky mckay has done with players that he didn't sign as well that that were part of a struggling team in previous years uh and i think that kind of bodes well for for his ability to to get you know the very most out of of, of players and i suppose the best example of that is regan charles cook who um you know, didn't really look whoa, whoa, to be... Whoa, PFA Scotland Player of the Year nominee, Regan Charles Cook. Exactly, yes, on the, yes. On this show. <laughs> to give him his Remember, you're talking to the president of the RCC fan club here, Andy. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't want to be blacklisted, but are we saying that that's that's bigger than the Scottish Football Writers Association? <laughs> are we saying they're, they're, they're level, level in terms of prestige? Well, you know, he could win that as well. Um, I've, I've already... Given one hint as did to you, what I've done, uh, did you I've, vote for him, Andy? <laughs> I may have done. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's, he's the top scorer in the division. Uh, who would ever have seen that coming uh, last season when he struggled to to kind of get a consistent place in the team? So, you know, that's just one example. There are plenty of other players in the side that that have come on leaps and bounds, and yeah, and <laughs> the long and short of it is that uh, I think Malky Mackay has done a tremendous job at Ross County and. The, the work is not done yet. You know, they're in the top six. That's not the, the be-all and end-all of their their goals. They they have the the carrot of uh, an unprecedented European place to, to aim at now. And that's that's a wonderful position for the club to, to be in. Obviously, the performance against Celtic, I, th- I think it was one of those where Celtic were quite good in moments. And, I mean, Ross Laidlaw, to, to give him his due, made a couple of cracking saves. One of them, to be fair... It was a situation he created himself by fumbling the initial shot, but then you know pulling off a wonder save to deny. I think it was Kyogo, was it? Kyogo was the rebound. Although, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I say Kyogo, but I've heard, I've heard uh, Japanese journalists actually asking why in Scotland we call him Kyogo when in Japan they call him Furuhashi because he's not a Brazilian. So why are we using his first name? Anyway, but. I mean, this weekend feels like the first real opportunity of the the post split for me for them to get you know points on the board. They've taken points of Hearts, a single point of Hearts recently, where they probably felt they could have maybe come away with all three. Do you think down at Tynecastle, bit different from playing them at the Global Energy Stadium? It's a, a difficult venue to go, especially at this point in the season. I'm sure it'll be packed out. But do you think do you think they could do it this weekend? Uh, they're definitely going into it in a, a good place because. I mean, they've got the, the the most difficult challenge out of the way first, and in losing that game, they've not lost any ground on the two teams they're competing with, because Dundee United and Motherwell both lost at the weekend. So to get Celtic out of the way and to still be in the same position as as they were um, gives them a good, you know, restarting point if you like, uh, with four games now to to go. Um, I think it'll be a tall order at Tynecastle. Um, Hearts have obviously sewn up third place and some um, and that you know is evidence that their form has been excellent this season and you know they're also playing for cup final places as well but you know all, all things considered you know County have caused Hearts problems in, in all three games um, two draws at Dingwall as you say they you know 
an argument to say that you know they could have won on both occasions. The game at Tynecastle last time was really eerie. It was Boxing Day, no fans there. Um, County made a horrendous start to that. They were two 0 down after fifteen minutes or so, but finished strongly. And I suppose they might approach it similar um, in a way to um, how they did at Pitodry, but you know, obviously facing a much more informed opponent. Um, but just where you know the the task is to maybe frustrate the crowd a wee bit in the in the early stages, um, and and look to bring on some of their their flair later in the game. But um, regardless of the result this weekend, I think I'm right in saying that if County beat Motherwell the following week, they would be above Motherwell, um, regardless of any outcomes this weekend. And I think that kind of reinforces the point that it's the two head-to-head games which County crucially have at home against Motherwell and Dundee United at home where their form's been excellent. Um, It's only Celtic that have won in the last 12 games at, at Dingwall. They've done it twice, but that's a run that stretches back to October. So, um, you know, knowing that they've got Motherwell coming, uh, midweek trip to Ibrox, but then finish at home to Dundee United, that's, you know, going to be a really key sort of run in and um, you can very well see it coming down to that last day. And, you know, given what county you've shown to this point, would you back them? I, I certainly would. It would be really funny there if you'd went no, but <laughs> I mean, it's pretty alien territory, isn't it, for Ross County that they're they're going a post split. You know, usually they've been the bottom six, or in previous years, sorry, they've been the bottom six, and this time they're going in, and you're thinking, God, they get one win in the post split out of the five games, they're potentially in Europe, and I know there's five European spaces this season, but it's still it's still pretty decent going from them. Inverness. Then, oh, actually, it should be noted that Malky Mackay also spoke to the Press and Journal. Um, I think the story only went up last night, but said he is, he would welcome back Joseph Hungbo if Watford were open to sending him back up on loan again next season with open arms. So that'll be something that the Ross County fans are desperate for, I'm sure, based on how he's performed this season, especially in recent months. But yes, Inverness confirmed third, as we said they probably would on last week's show. Took a Roddy McGregor goal. It was kind of shocking defending from Morton. Really, don't know if you've all seen it, but I mean, we'd had a piece with him before the game talking about coming back from injury, looking to get his way back into the team after I think he broke down maybe twice on the way back from the injury he had. But I mean, if you're gonna you're gonna stake a claim for a place, that's the way to do it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you know, thirdly spoke to him um, prior to the game and. Yeah, you know he's a, he's been a big miss actually for Inverness because you know he's a really easy on the eye player. Um, he kind of just glides into little pockets of space, a lot of energy and dynamism in the middle of the park, which um, you know is something that Inverness haven't really had as much. You know they they've had the kind of deeper lying midfielders with you know Sean Welsh having a, a good range of passing and McAleer, um, who's been a, a great all rounder. Um, you know, carrying that that goal threat uh, from outside the box, but Roddy offers them something a bit different. He's versatile, and um, getting him back now, and you know, crucially off the mark, and I think it was his first start since returning, um, is a really good boost actually for for the the whole side as they approach these playoff games, which they're now guaranteed of. Um, uh, it was a you know an important game to come through because they had lost their previous game against Queen of the South. It just gets them back into that that winning groove now as they you know, hunt down the 
um, the sort of momentum that's going to you know, hold the key to their, their hopes of, of coming through this mammoth run of uh, potentially six playoff matches. I suppose it gives them the opportunity as well against Hamilton in their final regular season game. And I know they've spoken about this, Barry Wilson's spoken about this, but it gives them the chance. It's at home, isn't it? And they're now able to play the players that, given how many playoff games they've got, there are players in the squad that will need minutes under their belt that maybe haven't featured in recent weeks to make sure that everyone is up to speed to get through these six games that could potentially take them to the Premiership, yeah. Can I throw Scott Allardyce in there? Because he's he's been back training the last couple of weeks. Um, Dodds, he was reluctant to talk him up too much a week ago, but now that that's third place assured and they're maybe looking to get some game time into guys, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a run out on Friday night in the last game. And what, what yeah. a boost it would be to have him back for the playoffs as well. To, to think that, you know, Allardyce and McAleer, with the form he's been on, could partner each other in midfield with, you know, potentially Roddy a bit further on. Um, no, it's it's actually looking quite quite good, and you've you've seen some of the the attacking players, you know, that came in in January, starting to hit some form as well. Um, you know, Austin Samuels is off the mark. Logan Chammers has got five goals in five games, I think. So, um, no, that that bodes well. But you'll you'll also have players, um, you know, like Tom Walsh, who I think will get some game time on Friday. Hasn't featured too much. Um, I think there's the suggestion that. Young Lewis Hyde might might feature as well. If Inverness are going to come through this with the outcome that they're craving, um, they're going to have to carefully manage their squad. And you know, the the more players that they can get playing and firing on all cylinders, um, you know, the better for them because you know they they are going to need the uh, the depth of their squad in order to to carry them through this uh, this period. But by the same token, they'll want to. You know, having got back to winning ways against Morton, they'll want to stay in that winning groove now as they, um, you know, approach the the double header, which most likely will be against Partick Thistle. Yeah, I think it would. When's the first Tuesday. leg of that? Tuesday, Tuesday would be at Firhill um, or Kirkcaldy. We can't rule Wraith Rovers out completely, but well, I think what is it? Three <laughs> three points of difference and an eight goal yeah. swing required. It's not happening. They're, uh, no, they're heading to Glasgow, and then uh, the return leg would be on. On Friday, I think. Hopefully that tatty field's been sorted out for the first leg of that. Right, let's move on then. A team that knows all about the Firehill pitch, but also knows all about winning league championships. Cove Rangers to discuss after this short break. Right then, Jamie, you were there for a while, for a while on Saturday afternoon, listening to Sports Sounds. Team, they were a bit concerned that Cove are going to end up drawing 0-0 and with Airdrie winning it could go to the last day and claiming the title away at East Fife, which wouldn't have been as good as doing it in front of 1,600 people at the Balmoral Stadium. Fortunately somebody stepped up to the plate and scored for Cove, secured a 1-0 win against Dumbarton who else but Mitch Meganson, who I think I've written this in the notes but he must have scored something like, what, 150 Cove goals over the last five years? Is that the number I put down? Who knows? Oh, it's 200. Must be closing in over 200. But in the SPFL alone, the last three seasons, it's 64 goals. And when you consider one of those seasons was cut short, it's pretty, you know, it was always going to be him, possibly, if, if fate had any hand in it. But was were the celebrations as, as good as predicted? Oh, I think they'd certainly earned it, put it that way. Um, this... Incredible unbeaten run 
that they've been on now 25 games it, I think there was a kind of a there was a huge kind of a release of emotion at the end of the game because it is a demanding way that Kovac play and train um, and that's put on them by the, the coaching staff and the management that they, they want to take the game to the opposition they want to be the dominant team in the game and that will take a lot of you over the course of of a season, but to string the results together that they have um, is testament to the to the players. Um, there's times maybe during it where they've looked like they were it was going to come to an end, but they've been resilient and they've dug out results. They weren't at the best at all on Saturday, and I think I think after the game, Paul Hartley said he thought they were terrible, um, but they got a goal in the, that was that was all that they needed. Like Dumbarton didn't have anything to play for really. They were still they were kind of stuck in ninth and they were preparing for the playoffs. Um, they were solid. Um, they were a bit dogged, but they didn't really offer much going forward. Cove had chances, but weren't taking them. And the kind of the longer you, it went on, you were kind of hoping that it didn't kind of go into the next week because the way it would have panned out would have been Adrian obviously were comfortably winning at Clyde. If Cove had drawn, the gap would have been down to three points, but Cove had a, like have a superior goal difference. So it would almost been like one of those where, you know in yourself that the, it would have been done, but mathematically, there's always the potential for a freak <laughs> turnaround. But um, so once that goal from Mitch Meganson goes in, um, you then just you then just kind of wanted full time to come. And you just kind of it's, you you kind of playing playing out the clock, um, playing out the clock really. And I'm glad that they managed to do it in front of their own supporters and got the trophy presented to them on the pitch. They were robbed of that two years ago. When obviously the the pandemic started and they were they were kind of named League One uh, League Two champions, sorry, when the season was was ended in the April and they didn't get that celebration, they didn't get that kind of emotional release, um, but they got it on on Saturday. You had players mingling with fans and their family on the pitch at the end of the game, and which was nice to see. Um, so given again, they played the whole of last season without without supporters there. So it was it was a it was an enjoyable day to be part of. It's a lot as I'm sure anybody in this line of work knows when it when there's titles or trophies won, there's a lot of work involved afterwards when you're kind of sifting through the uh sifting through the the reaction and stuff like that. And it certainly was a long Saturday night um kind of putting it all together. But once you kind of sit back afterwards and kind of reflect on it and it's quite nice to take in the the kind of the celebrations and the kind of the, the significance of this to the club because don't forget it's three it's three years since they were promoted to the SPFL, it's three promotions in four seasons, four league titles in five seasons. You can throw a lot of statistics at it just to underline of how how big a achievement this is for Cove. And you think about it, Airdrie have gone nineteen games unbeaten and are still five points adrift. In any other season, Airdrie would be champions, but Cove. I managed to go that one step further, and crucially in those head-to-head games with Adrianians, they've never been beaten, which I think probably is what's is what's decided this title. The key, Adrian Bucky Thistle bonded for life. Paul, are you going to say something? You've leaned forward. No. Okay. Well, one bit of news that came out of Cove after their title win was that Harry Milne, as suspected, I think will be leaving the club at the end of his contract. He's penned a two-year deal on a pre-contract with Park Thistle. 
A team that could, as we've discussed, potentially they've got a long they've got a long run through the playoffs to get to the Premiership next season. So they could be in the same league as Cove next year. And I know Cove have talked figures from Cove, Paul Hartley, Keith Moorhouse. You know, there's there's an uncertainty about whether they're going to go to a hybrid model, whether there'll still be a, a part time team next season. Jamie, my question for you with Harry Milne is, I reckon Cove probably don't get a better left back in the Championship than Harry Milne. Is letting him go the best decision? Could could couldn't they have got Harry Milne in a full time deal and rather rather than be playing for another team in the league that they could be coming up against next season? I think letting letting him go is maybe not the right way to to phrase it because they certainly would have wanted to keep him. And I, I having not kind of spoke to Harry since this news has been confirmed, I obviously don't kind of know his thinking behind it. But I, in my view, I think if he would have had the option to go full time with Cove. That he would have done it. I think. I think there's maybe the opportunity is not there for him this season. Maybe had the pandemic not happened or whatever, then Cove might have been able to go full time next season totally and offer him that option. Um, he maybe when he's signing that deal, I think it, it's been rumored for a, a while, a couple of months maybe that. It's been done. Maybe at that time when he was signing the deal and making that decision, that you didn't know what was going to happen with Cove, um, kind of going forward. Um, and I would agree, you struggle to get a better left back in there. And I think the view is that he could comfortably, with full time football, he could comfortably be a Premiership player. And I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, particularly over the, particularly this season, I think the first couple of seasons you saw signs that he was growing beyond the player that everyone knew in the Highland League but I think this season he's taken it beyond that the role he plays in this system at Cove is very unique because he plays as a left wing he's ostensibly a left wing back but the way Cove operate this straight at the back system he, he's he's almost essentially a, a winger that gets up in support of the front two because he's so high up the field and he's he's got someone in Mark Reynolds that normally plays behind him kind of at a a left centre back that can shift across and cover defensively if if Harry's caught further forward, but he has that license to get forward and his delivery of the ball is sensational. Um and he's chipped in with key goals as well. And I think Partick Thistle have got an absolute steal on getting him on a free transfer. Um he's twenty five, he's probably still got scope to improve given that he's going to be testing himself at full time level for the first time. Um and I think we will. We, I think we will see Harry in the Premiership at some point in the future, be it with Thistle or with somebody else. Um, from a selfish point of view, I'd like to see him back at the Balmoral next season um, in the Championship, and um, kind of Cove supporters can kind of welcome him back. Um, in terms of the what the hybrid model is going to look like, I think from I spoke to Paul Hartley this morning. Uh, kind of recording this on a Thursday, so I spoke to him today and I think he's due to to sit down with Keith Moorhouse next week and just kind of thrash out what that kind of looks like for them they've obviously got like a lot of players on part-time deals for next season and maybe beyond that and it would make sense to obviously kind of keep them around and keep them involved given they've played such a huge part Um, so then it's whether do any new recruits come in do they come in on full-time deals or do you maybe put it to some of the part-time players that we maybe give them the option to go full time if they want to. I don't know. Like it, that's ultimately still to be decided. I think by the club as to what that looks like. They will invest in the squad. Keith Moorhouse has kind of said that. I think that's going to be a priority, and I don't think it's something they've ever shied away from before. Um, they're an ambitious club. 
Um, they've never kind of tried to disguise that fact, but they've they've tried to do it in the right way. Um, people will say that they've prob- they probably had one of the the better budgets in League One, and I think that's that's fair given that this, the quality of players they've been able to attract. But I don't they're not some they're not a club, and they don't have people at the club that will stretch it beyond its means. They will they will spend what they can afford to spend. They won't... It's not built on a pyramid of sand like we've maybe seen in examples in the past. It's going to be done in a sustainable way, which is maybe why you'll see improvements at the ground as well to try and bring in more fans. And that's been a positive over the last few weeks and maybe even months that you've seen a growth in the fan base. So it was 1,300 there for the Alloa game, 1,600 there for the... Um, for the Dumbarton game just gone and they've had a healthy travelling support this season as well and growing that fan base to, I'd say it's going to be important for them to probably regularly touch, if not eclipse, four figures every home game Um, and you will get greater support coming up from up the road, Um, sorry, from down the road for away games, you'll get more, particularly if you've got, say, bigger supports like um, Dundee or Dunfermline or whatever in that division that obviously Dunfermline maybe maybe won't be in that division, but you're going to have bigger supports coming up the road as well and hopefully a growth in the fan base because success attracts interest and I think you'll have a lot of people that, because of how well Cove have done, will will we want to come and watch them hopefully week in, week out. Although it will be strange, you know, you said it's a bit timing and stuff, but if they now bring in a left-back on a full-time deal and then, you know, their previous left-back left back is still in the championship and a full-time deal and proves to still be a better left-back, it will be a weird one. Anyway, Peterhead 1, East Fife 0. They've got Airdrie this weekend. Simon Ferry's final game for the club. We suspect, or expect, is probably the better word. So we can discuss that next week. Elgin 1, Cowdenbeath 4 in League 2 as well. Elgin's penultimate game ending in a scalping to the Blue Brazil, the bottom team. I suppose the difference is Cowdenbeath have still got plenty to play for with their uh, playoff coming up against Bonnie Rig or Fraserburgh, which is obviously dependent on the second leg of the Lowland League and Highland League tie this weekend. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Northern Goal, which is ran to a, a, a chunky 50 minutes. Thanks to Paul Third and Jamie and Andy for joining me today. Cheers, guys. Hey, brother. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. As I said earlier, the email is northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. And enjoy the football, whichever games you're watching this weekend. Cheers. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.